want to invite you to turn with me this morning to God's word to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, if you're searching for that book, just turn right to the New Testament and you'll see that Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. It has been said that there are only two certainties in life. Death and taxes. So, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but not in that order. I was going to say, so said the great, uh, yeah, so said Spence, as well as Mark Twain. Now, it was Mark Twain who popularized this line, but you might be fascinated to know that it originally surfaced in a 1789 letter that was penned by none other than Benjamin Franklin, to a prominent French scientist. Of course, as we consider this, this famous saying, there is a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to this idea. We cannot be certain about our health. We cannot be certain, especially in Whatcom County, about the weather. We cannot be certain about the global economy or the national economy or even our personal finances. We can't be certain about our careers or our jobs. And whenever we feel like we've come to the point where we have a, a certain measure of certainty, we get smacked right in the face and we have to start all over again. Simply put, uncertainty, uncertainty is a part of our lives. But I want to go on to say that Mark Twain or Benjamin Franklin's word is certainly not the final word. While there is much that is unsure, while there is much that is uncertain in this life, we can together as followers of Jesus Christ hang on to the biblical truth that God is utterly unchangeable. That's the title of this morning's message. We've entitled the message, The Immutability of God. Now, I don't know what you're going through this week or what you're going through this month, whether it's physical setbacks. I know there are many at Christ Fellowship who have endured physical setbacks. I know one friend of mine has had a physical setback that is, has reached the point of about two years. I don't know if you're in a position where you're worried about your finances or your marriage in trouble, is in trouble. You have marital tension or relationship problems. Perhaps you have grave questions about the future and you don't know which way to turn. Whatever it is, as we continue our series that we have entitled God of Wonders, I want to encourage you today to stand together as the people of God and affirm and celebrate the immutability of God. As we study the immutability of God together this morning, I want to pose three very important questions about immutability. First question is this, what is it? What is it? There are some who would say, why use the term immutability? Why the fancy term? I believe it's a very, very important term. I believe it's a term we need to hold on to and grasp as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we want to get, begin this morning very basically and ask, what is it? Here's a simple definition for immutability. 
I must say that I was in a conversation with a friend last week, and he was sharing about a young child who was taking notes. It was the best text I got last week. When I hear that teenagers and young children are taking notes, something that my father taught me to do when I grew up in the church. I think I started taking notes when I was about six years old and have never stopped. Uh, Nothing could encourage me more. So I want to encourage you to write this definition down. The immutability of God is this. God does not change. God does not change. Now, last week we discovered another attribute of God, and it's a, it's a word that was brand new for many of you, and now it's just old hat for us, isn't it? We learned about the aseity of God, A-S-E-I-T-Y. And we learned that the aseity of God means this, God finds his existence in himself. Probably the deepest truth you will ever hear in your whole life. God finds his existence in himself. One writer puts it like this. Immutability then is a natural implication of aseity. While everything changes, God is and remains the same. If God were not immutable, if God were not immutable, he would not be God. God is and remains the same. Everything changes. But God remains who he is. He is, as we discovered last week, he is Yahweh. He who is and ever remains himself with the first and with the last, he is still the same God. Would you hold your finger in the book of Malachi and turn with me to the book of Psalms? Psalm chapter 102. And I want to... Direct your attention to a few verses in Psalm 102 by way of introduction and have you read with me verses 26 to 28. Psalm 102, 26 to 28. The psalmist says, they will perish. Now speaking of God, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Have you figured something out that everything you purchase wears out everything you buy a brand new computer for two thousand dollars you're so excited about that computer you put the software on the computer you put all different all these newfangled things on the computer and you're so excited about that computer and it usually takes if you're like me about two years for things to start slowing down It is the biggest ripoff I've ever heard of. (laughs) Is anyone else frustrated with that? Yes. They will all wear out like a garment. My wife and I have this ongoing discussion. And this is where I'm going to get in big trouble. And all the men, are are you with me this morning? Is I'll go out into the garage and I'll look into the garbage can. And there's my favorite shirt. Raise your hand if you've been in this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Mutiny. <laughs> and what does every red-blooded man do at that point? You take it out of the garbage can and you put it back in the drawer. Amen. 
And later on, your wife, who loves you so much, looks into your drawer and she sees that shirt, that smelly, stinky, holy, worn out shirt. And she says, what in the world is your problem? You say, that's my favorite husky shirt. (laughs) How dare you? We need counseling. (laughs) (laughs) Doreen says that's the second time I've said that today. (laughs) Trust me, we don't. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you, O God, are the same and your years have no end. We will see later in our study as we learn about the eternality of God. The God has no beginning. He has no end. His years have no end. Verse 28, the children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Last week, I made reference to A.W. Pink and a book that he wrote entitled The Sovereignty of God and recommended it highly to you. Another book I want to encourage you, especially as we, as we study together the attributes of God, is a book that has a very original title by Mr. Pink. It's called The Attributes of God. And here's what A.W. Pink says. The immutability of God comforts believers. His purpose is fixed. His will is stable. His word is sure. Here then is a rock on which we may fix our feet while the mighty torrent is sweeping away everything around us. The late James Boyce said the unchangeableness of God means that God is always the same in his eternal being. As we leave this morning, may it be written on your hearts and on your minds that our great God is immutable. He does not change. Well, there's a second question I want to ask, and that is, what does it mean? We've defined the attribute of immutability, but I want you to look at six very important clarifying statements that will help us to unpack the attribute of immutability. If you turn back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, we'll see it very clearly in this particular passage. Verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Do you know that there are pastors and theologians in our culture and in our day and there have been throughout church history who reject the immutability of God do you know that when you talk to someone and they they question the immutability of God really two things are at play they are first and importantly questioning the character of God And that is a dangerous place to stand. They are also questioning the authority of God's word. Because here very plainly we see in Malachi 3 that I, the Lord, do not change. Well, what does it mean? I want to give you once again six clarifying statements that will help us to unpack, to more fully understand this very important attribute of mutability. Number one, God is immutable in his essence. God is immutable in his essence. 
In Exodus chapter 3, we looked at this passage last week. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You see, God never changes. He is utterly immutable in his essence. There is no shadow of turning in the essence or the being of God. Number two, I want you to see that God is immutable in his attributes. Here we are learning about one very important attribute of of God, namely the immutability of God. But recognize all the other attributes that we have learned about thus far and all the other attributes that we will continue to learn about are also immutable. God is immutable in his attributes. Psalm chapter 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. How many of you are excited this morning to learn that the Lord is good? Do you know that historic Christianity is, is the only religion who can say, Our God is good. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 119, verses 89 and 90. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. I want you to remember this morning that as we continue our study together for many months in the future, that God is immutable in his attributes. Number three, I want you to see that God is immutable in his counsel. He is immutable in his counsel. The psalmist says in Psalm 33, verse 11, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart to all generations. That is to say that truth is a fixed thing. Truth is a fixed thing. I had a gentleman say to me a few days ago in a coffee shop, surprise, surprise, that we cannot know truth. And the greatest way to respond to that, once again, is do you believe that? Absolutely. Everyone does. It's self-refuting. Here we see that God is utterly immutable in his counsel. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Number four, God is immutable in his plans and his purposes. He is immutable in his plans and purposes. Now, what I'd like to do for just a moment, I am going to read, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 46, if you're taking notes, verses 9 and 10. What I would have you to do while I'm reading Isaiah 46 is I would have you to turn to Numbers 23 and 1 Samuel chapter 15. Numbers chapter 23 And 1 Samuel chapter 15. But first in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, as we learn a very important lesson that God is immutable in his plans and purposes. And the word of God says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning 
and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God is immutable in his plans and in his purposes. Now, would you read with me in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. And one of my goals in this series is that when we near the end of our series, that if someone were to suggest an attribute of God, for instance, if someone were to talk to you about the aseity of God, that he finds his existence in himself, that you would immediately think Acts chapter 24, as we learned about last week. Or if someone refers to the attribute of immutability, you would automatically think in your mind Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. It's an exercise that I would encourage you to work on and to embrace. Now, here are two additional texts that are absolutely crucial passages as we learn about God's immutability. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should what? Change his Mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And then look over in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. 1 Samuel 15, verse 29. And also the glory of Israel, that is God, will not lie. We will soon come to the attribute of God's omnipotence. And I'm going to steal a little bit of my own thunder in advance by alerting you to something that might set some of you a bit uneasy. When I tell you that when we say that God is omnipotent, it does not mean that he can do anything. You see, that's what I learned in Sunday school growing up. Boys and girls, God is omnipotent. And little kids say, um, what? Omnipotent. Omni and power. He's all powerful. I say, what does that mean, teacher? It means he can do anything. You know, that's not true. Why? Because here in this passage, we learn that there's at least one thing that God cannot do. What is it? He can't lie. And here's the way in theology, people try to, to, to short circuit that reality. They, they play games. They play games with the text and they say, well, he could lie, but he chooses not to. That's a game. God cannot lie. He simply doesn't have the ability, is not within his nature. And so the the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. I want you to see that God is Utterly immutable in his plans and in his purposes. And that should come as a a tremendous comfort to you today. That all that God has decreed will certainly come to pass. No free human decision. No demon in hell. 
No wind, no snowstorm, no amount of rain, nothing in all the universe can hinder the plans that God has for you. Why? Because God is immutable. His plans and purposes do not change. I want you to see furthermore that God's purposes for Jesus Christ cannot change and will not change. Philippians 2 says it like this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews? And I want to point out a passage in Hebrews that my prayer is that will come as a great encouragement to you today, no matter what you're going through. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Hebrews six thirteen. The writer of Hebrews, and whenever I read from Hebrews, my custom is to say the writer of Hebrews... Uh, I I do not have the certainty that A.W. Pink had before he went to be with the Lord. He believed with absolute certainty that the author was Paul. Um, I'm not quite so sure. I'm not certain of that. And so I refer to the writer of Hebrews. But we know whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, this is God's authoritative, inerrant, infallible, clear word for the people of God. Verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Notice, we have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, as we think about how the plans God has for Jesus will never change, uh, my mind was drawn to something that has nothing really to do with, with Jesus But it struck me about how things all around us are changing. My uncle, years and years and years and years ago, bought an automobile. I won't tell you what kind of automobile, but it was a reliable automobile. And the deal that the the dealer struck with him was you get to have uh, uh, the oil changed for the life of the car. (laughs) Well, my uncle ran that automobile, where's Rick, for over 500,000 miles. I think they call that running it into the ground. And as he took the, the automobile into the dealer after he turned 500,000 miles on this dilapidated 
car. The lady at the counter told my uncle, this will be the last day that you'll have a free oil change. And my uncle said, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the deal. The deal was for the life of the car. Well, these cars aren't supposed to run for 500,000 miles. And so you see that even in a business deal, in a business deal, things change. Things go awry. And so my uncle decided to buy his next car at the dealer across the street. You see, God, his plans and purposes never change. His plans and purposes for the Lord Jesus Christ never change. God's purposes for you and I as the redeemed people of God never change. In addition, God's purposes for the wicked never change. In Exodus chapter 34, we know the verse very well that God says he will in no means clear the guilty. And this has tremendous, tremendous motivation for anyone here this morning who has yet to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Please understand. Please hear the heart of a utterly concerned shepherd that the judgment of God hangs over your head if you are not yet a Christ follower. The wrath of God abides on every unbelieving person. And so today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you say, God of the universe, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I have violated your holy law. And if I'm really honest, I have enjoyed every minute of it. But today, I have been cut to the quick, and I realize that your wrath abides on me. And I realize that you sent Jesus, your one and only Son, to pay for the sins of everyone who would ever believe. I am numbered among those who believe. I believe in Jesus. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come. By wine and milk without money and without price. Later in Isaiah 55, we read this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon and so there is a tremendous burden in this room today that there are some of you have yet come to you have, you have yet to come to the place where you where you believe in Jesus where you turn from your sins so today is the day of salvation well we have seen that God is immutable in his essence we have seen that God is immutable in his attributes and his counsel indeed he is utterly immutable in his plans and purposes but i promise six clarifying statements look at the fifth with me I want you to see that God's immutability does not immobilize him. It does not immobilize him. You see, some have placed God in an eternally frozen posture. They say if he's immutable, then they take it to the the so-called logical end and they find him frozen. But the scriptures present God as one who is actively involved with the creature. He is one who engages with the creature 
And as B.J. Edwards, our chairman of the board, reminded the elder council two weeks ago, reminded us that Jesus loved them to the end. That does not sound like a God who is in an, an eternally frozen posture. No, our God is high and lifted up. Our God is transcendent, as we shall see. But he is also there for the creature. He is actively involved with you and I. Finally, I want you to see that God is immutable in his promises. God is immutable in his promises. Would you turn to one of the paramount promises in the New Testament to the book of Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. And I know you know this text well. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I want to remind you to quote this accurately from the text. I hear it all the time. God will work everything out for the good. That is not what this passage says. Verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, God. That's what we have to remember to recite. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I want to suggest this morning that this promise in chapter 8 of Romans is really the, the foundation of all the promises that we find in Scripture. That for those who love God, He works all things together for the good. John Piper says it like this. If you live inside this massive promise, that is referring to Romans 8.28, if you live inside this massive promise, your life is more solid and stable than Mount Everest. Nothing can blow you over when you're inside the walls of Romans 8.28. Outside of Romans 8.28 is confusion and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Once you walk through the door of love into this massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8.28, everything changes. There comes into your life stability and depth and freedom. You simply cannot be blown over anymore. The confidence that a sovereign God governs you, including all the pain and all the pleasure that you will ever experience, is an incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. When God's people really live by future grace in Romans 8.28, everything from the measles to the mortuary, they are the freest and strongest and most generous people in the world. Their light shines and people give glory to their Father in heaven. So I want to encourage you to, to live within the safe confines of Romans 8.28. For God's plans and purposes never change. Why? Because he is the immutable God. There's a final question I want to focus on for just a moment. We've discovered the definition of immutability. We've looked at six clarifying statements that help us to, to plunge the depth of this attribute of God. 
But I want to play the role of a cynic here for a moment and play the role of a skeptic. What if, what if the attribute of immutability could be proven false? What if you logged on to the internet tomorrow and the headline from the Washington Post said, Doctrine of Immutability Proven False? If that's the case, what are the implications? Number one, if it could be proven that God were changeable, if it could be proven that immutability is, is not in the Bible, it's not a part of God's character, he would not be the most perfect being that the Word of God says he is. If God is not eternal, I should say God is not eternal if he is not immutable. And we will look at the eternality of God shortly. Third, if God were changeable, he would not be infinite and mighty. We will look at God's infinity next week. And number four, the world could not be ordered and governed, but by some principle of being which were immutable. That is to say, in so many words, if God is not immutable, God is not God. So aren't you so thankful? Aren't you so encouraged to know today that we serve and worship and love a God who is completely immutable? I want to close by asking, how does it make a difference in your life? We live busy lives. And one thing I've learned since moving to Whatcom County is this is a county that is especially busy. Are we not? We're busy and we're running around and we're picking our kids up and we're taking our kids to games and we're going to work and we're going to the hospital and we're, we're going to the office complex and we're at home and we're, we're doing all manner of things. And life gets busy and life gets stressful and life is filled with pressure and life is filled with anxiety. And so how does the immutability of God, how does this doctrine hit me where I live? How does it hit you where you live today? I've referred you several times to A.W. Tozer and his classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy. Here's the answer that Tozer gives. I think it's a great place to end. He says, what peace it brings to the Christian's heart to realize that our Heavenly Father never differs from Himself. In coming to Him at any time, we need not wonder whether we shall find Him in a receptive mood. You know, that's something that is hard for us to understand. Teenagers, when, when you uh, want to ask your, your mom or dad for the keys of the car... If you're like every other teenager that's lived on the face of the earth, you know when is a good time and when is a bad time. You see, if your dad comes home from work and he stomps into the, into the dining room and throws his keys onto the table and goes, Ugh, you know that is not the time to say, hey, dad, could I have the keys to the car tonight? It's just, it's not cool to begin with. And it's also not smart. And so it's hard for us to recognize what it's like for God to always, as Tozer says, be in a receptive mood. He is always receptive to misery and need, Tozer says, as well as to love and faith. 
He does not keep office hours nor set aside periods when he will see no one. Neither does he he change his mind about anything. Today, this moment, he feels towards his creatures, that is you and I, toward the sick, the fallen, the sinful, exactly as he did when he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for sinners. God never changes his moods or cools off in his affections or loses enthusiasm. His attitude towards sin is now the same as it was when he drove us out of the sinful man from the eastern eastward garden. And his attitude toward the sinner is the same as when he stretched forth his hands and cried out, Come unto me, all that are labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. See, we live in a culture that is constantly in flux. If you watch the stock market, It could literally drive you insane. Up and down and up and down. Everything's in flux. Our affections, our moods are constantly changing. The culture that we live in is like a perpetual roller coaster. Our marriages are good one day and they're suffering the next. One day we're employed, the next day we're looking at the want ads. We live in a world where we can't count on anything or anyone. But, but, there is one who will never, never let us down. There is one who will never betray us. There is one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is one who will never be moved. Indeed, he is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our unmovable rock. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. You see, our immutable God is a God whose love will never shift. It will never change. It will never cool down. And Paul says this in Romans 8. For I am sure... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to ask, are, are you clinging on this day to the immutable God? He is your rock. He is your refuge. He is your everlasting hope and strength. He is your comfort in time of need. When anxiety fills your soul, when fear fills your mind, when there's change and flux all around, our responsibility is open-handed to God. God, I need help. And we know that he is there. In our time of need, I urge you today to learn as a matter of of Christian living to cry out to the immutable God, to rest in the immutable God, to find comfort in God who is utterly unchangeable. We pray with me.
Oh, immutable God, we cry out to you on this day. We ask you for comfort to receive help in time of need. We ask you for strength during difficult days. We ask that you would uh, protect us. We ask that you would uh, enable us to rest in your grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that reminds us that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. We are totally dependent on grace. So immutable God, may you refresh us this day. May you remind us of your unchangeable character, your unchangeable essence, your unchangeable attributes, your unchangeable plans and promises. May we rest in the comfort of the immutable God as we sing this final song. For it's in your son's worthy name we pray. Amen.